Well, hello, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are here with us, uh, the Bayside campus, as well as those of you who join via video. Uh, just warning to the campuses at the other locations, uh, tonight's Bible study will be a little bit shorter than normal, just so you know, because uh, we're doing a baptismal thing at the end here. We've got a few people here that are going to get baptized. Very cool. We are in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, and... Uh, what we've had here is uh, Israel has been clamoring for a king. Finally, God says, okay, they can have a king. And then uh, Samuel finds Saul and he anoints him as king and everybody's happy and blah, 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 blah. All right. So you start at verse 1, chapter 13. Now Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Now Saul chose, this, by the way, this, we're about to read a couple of chapters here that are a little strange. And, uh, but it is what it is. I'm not <laughs> Some of these things are really hard to figure out, but we'll do our best. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. Who is Jonathan? Who is this Jonathan fellow? It is Saul's son. So how do you know that? Because we find this out a little bit later. Again, it's kind of a little stranger but uh, anyway the rest of the men uh, he sent back to their homes now Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba and the Philistines heard about it then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said let the Hebrews hear so all Israel heard the news Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal Well, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Is that literal? Of course not. It's not literal. There's an awful lot of sand on the seashore. I don't know if anyone's ever counted it, but my guess would be there'd be a whole bunch. So they were being a little exaggerating here. All right. Um, just to make the point that there were lots and 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 lots of guys there. All right. So they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Avon. When the man of Israel saw that their situation was critical and they saw their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Well, that's pretty humiliating. So they're going out for battle and these guys come out and they're such a huge army. They're all hiding in holes. So some Hebrews uh, even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead they just got out of Dodge (laughs) that had been me (laughs) see ya anyway so Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear and he waited seven days the time that Samuel told him wait for seven days wait till I come and blah 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 but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrives. Like, hello, where were you? And then Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel says, is that for me? Tell him I'm busy. What have you done? Asked Samuel. There was a phone ringing in case you were wondering what that was at the campuses. Um, what have you done? So, here, no, so here's the deal. So now what we're getting a picture here now of is... Saul becomes king and God is using him and one of the reasons God's using him is because he's a humble guy and he's trying to now we're reading how Saul falls out of favor with God and we get two accounts 
that get him in trouble. This is the first one. Uh, this one, in all honesty, I don't get it. We'll talk about it in a second. The second one is much more clear why he gets in trouble uh, with God and then why God tells Samuel to go find another king and he finds David. All of this is, the purpose of all this is to discover who David is and then David becomes eventually the king of Israel and, and then all the Psalms, everything from the Bible here on out starts to make sense uh, after you get to David. So anyway, but this first one, here's the deal. Samuel tells him, wait, you know, uh, there's seven days. And I got, well, anyway, Saul's freaking out. They got this battle coming on. Everybody's freaking out. Guys are leaving. The seven days were up. Where's Samuel? He's not here. We need to worship God and go to battle and get with the deal. So he yells and says, well, bring the burnt offerings and let's worship God and sacrifice because I don't know what ever happened to Samuel. It sounds entirely reasonable to me. All right. But it really ticked off Samuel. Because he told him, wait. But he didn't wait. Now, again, in all, the reason I don't understand this, because it sounded to me like he did wait. He said, wait for seven days. He waited for seven days. The guy never showed. Right? If the pastor doesn't show, time to move on with the service without him. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, but apparently, they did not take this lightly. So I don't know. I personally, I'm not God, if you haven't been able to tell. But personally, I would cut the boy some slack here because where was Samuel? But anyway, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, which is true. You set the time, he didn't show. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Again, to me, it all sounds incredibly reasonable but that's me. Samuel gets mad at him and says, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Again, I don't get it. I, you know, I'm sure somewhere this all makes sense. He told him to wait. Da, 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 da. He did wait. The guy didn't show. He went ahead. So well, let's worship God because we got this battles coming. People are freaking out. It's time to something or get off the pot. I wasn't going to say it. But anyway, uh, you know, I mean, you got to do something. It's time to act. Fill in your own blank there. Um, so, but somehow because he acted and he went ahead and worshiped God and offered up this thing, not waiting for the prophet, it got him in big trouble with God. All I can tell is the way they tell the story, apparently we're not getting the entire weight of this or it's not being crystal clear and a lot of this is not crystal clear. Whenever I tell you, boy, some of these verses, don't, next chapters or something don't make sense, it's because to me they don't make sense and they seemed a little muddied to me. But apparently, you know, God is awfully fair as we all know. So I, I don't know. There must be something we're not really, really clear on here because apparently there was a very clear line that he crossed that he shouldn't have crossed. It's just in the writing here, I don't see the clarity of it. But anyway, it gets him in trouble. And right from there, it says, if you would have continued to honor God, God would have established your kingdom forever. But because you didn't, God's going to pull it away from you. Ouch! Just because, because of this? You know, where were you? I was waiting. Again, I don't know. Now, the next story where it finally kicks in big time. Very, very clear. Saul was out of line. Very distant. So it becomes very, very clear. This one. I'm just telling you. To me, it's a little muddy. So, Anyway, 
uh, there is a great analogy here that you'll probably hear me come back to uh, when I'm getting ready to do a series on, um, well, I'm in the middle of the series, I just started it Sunday, but uh, talking about spiritual authority in the home and this role of king and prophet in the home. And uh, sometimes, it's a great analogy to say what happens to the kings, the people who are in charge, they get in trouble when they don't wait for the prophet. Okay, and so I'll be coming back to that. So if, if nothing, that's, that's kind of a neat picture here that we see. Again, in all fairness, the prophet was late. So anyway, then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Okay, then this next thing. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men who were with him were standing at Gibeah and Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned toward Oprah and the vicinity of Shaul, another toward Beth Horon, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But now, verse 19, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So this is basically gun control at the time. What they did is they uh, outlawed any blacksmiths in the entire nation of Israel. The Philistines did this because if they didn't have, if they had blacksmiths, if they didn't have blacksmiths, they couldn't make weapons. So for these guys to get any of their things sharpened, they had to go to a Philistine to get them sharpened again. It was their way of, their version of gun control. It says, so all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattoxes, axes, and uh, sickles sharpened. And the price was blah, 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 blah. So anyway, uh, verse 22. Um, so on the day of, of the battle, not a soldier was saw, Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan. What? How do these guys have battles? I don't understand. I, again, I don't get it all. I'm just reading what's here, all right? You know, I'm sure someone out there really brilliant who can figure it all out. All I know, I don't know if they just had pitchforks and clubs. I don't know what the deal was. Um, but all of a sudden, in this little thing, they say they have this armies together and nobody has any swords. I mean, it's bad enough the other guys, they have a gazillion of them there. And you're sitting there with pitchforks. I don't know. Very, very strange to me. So anyway, there you have it. Now, a detachment of the Philistines had gone on out to the past at Michmash. That's the end of that chapter. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost. And that's where we find Jonathan with the son of Saul. So they introduced Jonathan before they told us that it was his son. And again, kind of a little backwards here. But this is who he is. He's Saul's son. And he goes out with his armor bearer. Well, apparently... The only armor bearer seems that nobody had any weapons. <laughs> Jonathan had weapons, and his dad had weapons. Everybody else, I don't know what they did. So Jonathan says, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost. Let's go check them out. Let's go check out the bad guys. All right. So Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. Uh, with him were about 600 men, among whom was blah, 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 blah. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. I don't want to read all those names. Can't read them anyway. So... He's sitting there, he's hanging out with these guys, and Jonathan took off with his armor bearer. Nobody knew that the guy was gone. Well now, so Jonathan goes out there. Now on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross reach, to reach to the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So one was called Bazez and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north, the other to the south. And so he's going out there and here are these Philistines up in the cliffs. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come on. Let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Perhaps? 
<laughs> you got to do a bigger sales job on me than that. <laughs> you know, tell me you heard from an angel. Tell me you had a revelation. Show me something. Not, gee, let's go pick on these guys. There's only two of us, remember. He wants to get out there and say, man, maybe God will be with us. Whoa, this guy, he had cojones. All right? So anyway, so anyway, nothing can hinder from the Lord saving whether by many or few. Yeah, I agree, but you're guessing here is what I would have been saying, but that's why I'm not in the Bible. I am a girly man. So now, so this armor bearer, he's up with it. He's good with this. He says, cool. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's go do it. Let's go egg them on. So two guys... Go out to get in a fight with the Philistines who have the high ground. Bad scenario. Well, Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. We'll get out there. All right. Now, if they say to us, wait there till we come down to you. Well, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. So, you know, we'll either stay or we'll cut out, whatever the deal is. But if they say, come on up here. Then we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Again, what? (laughs) Who came up with this plan? You mean if they say climb up here, that's the sign God is with us? I don't know how he knew this. It sounds to me like he's just making stuff up. Again, cojones, all right? This guy's got some guts. Either that or he's dumb as a brick. And there's usually a fine line between the two, quite frankly. (laughs) Fine line between bravery and dumb as a brick. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. So, anyway, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look! The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. Remember, they were literally hiding in holes. They couldn't find these guys. They're all hiding. They're so stupid. Where are those guys? Where are those guys? All of a sudden, here come these two. And they said, there he is. All right? Now... Someone's singing with me back there. <laughs> Children of all ages can relate to this sermon. She's back there. La, 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 la. Okay. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Armor bearer. Come on up here. We'll teach you a lesson. Okay. Well, Jonathan says, all right, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. This is our sign. This is what we were looking for. Again, man, (laughs) first of all, you didn't even know if God was going to be with us in the first place, all right? So he's making up these signs. Anyway, so Jonathan climbs up using his hands and feet and the armor bearer right behind him. I think the armor bearer's got the worst end of this deal. He's bearing armor, you know, so he's climbing up behind him. They're climbing up to take on these guys who want to kill them. I've always heard that if people are trying to kill you, move away from those people. But they're going to them, and they're climbing up to get in the fight. So the, Jonathan climbs up, their armor bearer is right behind him, and the Bible says the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. So these guys get up there, and when they get to the top, they just start kicking butt. You know, whatever, man. They're killing people in status. So these two guys wipe out 20. A pretty significant deal. Remember, they didn't have guns in those days. It was mano y mano. One at a time, baby. And I'm sure these guys didn't stand in line going, okay, you take him next. Okay, he's dead. My turn. I'm sure they were all coming at him. And they're fighting off 20 guys and they killed a lot of them. 
Well, this freaks people out. And it says that the panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and the field and those all of a sudden just this panic just goes through and, and, and God is doing this. He, it just started with these guys starting this thing and all of a sudden I see people dropping and everybody's panicking. And then it says all the way to the raiding parties and then the ground shook. They were all freaking out. The panic was sent by God. But God had used this guy with the cojones to go get something done. God bless him. I'm sure there's a great sermon in there about having guts. Anyway, we'll move on. Saul, Saul's lookout at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. All of a sudden they could just see all these people just freaking out. Well then Saul said to his men who were with him, muster the forces and we'll see who has left us. And when they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. That's when they finally realized, where are these two cats? They didn't know where they were at. Well Saul says to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time it was with Israel. And while Saul was talking to the priest, and the priest must have had his hands on him, laying, praying for him or whatever. The tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And he said, come on, it's time to go kick butt. So then Saul and his men assembled and went to battle. With what? I still don't get. Because they just told us they didn't have any weapons. I don't know if they just picked up the weapons of the people who already died. And then, you know, I don't know. Anyway. So they found the to- Philistines in total confusion. It had to be what they were doing. Striking each other with swords. So these guys come running in. They must have grabbed their, own, their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Okay, now. Now the men of Israel were in distress that day. Because, now when he says distress, they were exhausted they were completely exhausted physically emotionally but particularly physically they are distressed why are they in distress because Saul had made one of these stupid vows and curses or whatever again and he had bound the people under oath saying cursed be any man who eats food before evening comes before I've avenged myself on my enemy so none of the troops tasted food so they're, they're distressed they're, they're exhausted because he made them make this vow until they had victory until the night came nobody could eat anything not the smartest thing going into battle, but that's what he did. Well, the entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. Okay, and when they went into the woods, they saw honey oozing out, and yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. You know, Saul said, hey, anybody who eats anything is... Okay, but Jonathan never heard about the oath that his father had bound the people. So he reached out with the end of his staff in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, and he raised his hand to his mouth and, and his eyes brightened yeehaw sugar rush and then one of the soldiers told him dude you're, that's my bible dude your father your father bound the army under a strict oath saying cursed be any man who eats food today that's why the men are faint and Jonathan says oh my dad my dad yeesh he's made trouble for that country See how my eyes brighten when I taste a little of this honey? How much better it would have been for the men if they'd eaten today and some of the plunder and took it from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines had even been greater? So anyway, that day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon were exhausted. But they finally did it. They struck them down. They were avenged. Evening was coming, whatever the deal was. So they get to eat. So the Bible says they pounced on the plunder, taking sheep, cattle, calves, and they butchered them on the ground and ate them. <laughs> I'm assuming they cooked them first, but I don't know. It doesn't say that. It just says they ate them together with the blood. Now, what is he talking about? Um, they were really strictly forbidden to eat 
blood. Now, what would happen was, when you normally sacrifice, or sacrifice, or a butcher, or a cow, or a lamb, or whatever, you slit their throat, you bleed them out. Kind of a gross subject here. But you bleed them out, uh, and then, then you cut them up into meat and stuff like that. If you don't do that, all that blood in the body stays in the meat. You talk about medium rare. <laughs> I mean, it's really seriously gross at this point okay and so they all just started chopping up these animals and eating them again i don't know if they're cooking them or not even if they were they were still had all this blood in it and they weren't supposed to do that so then someone said to saul look the men are sinning against the lord by eating meat that has blood in it you've broken faith he said roll a large stone over here at once go out get the man and tell them each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them so in other words do it right do not sin against the lord by eating meat with blood still in it so everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there and they did it properly and then Saul built an altar to the Lord it was his fr- the first time he had done this and Saul said let's, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder till dawn and let's not leave any of them alive do whatever seems best to you they replied but the priest said let us inquire of God here so Saul asked God shall I go down after the Philistines will you give them into Israel's hand but God did not answer him that day Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out who was, what sin has been committed today. So here's the deal. They, they stopped to ask, you know, they got this plan. Saul said, Let's go down and let's just kill a whole lot of them and finish them off. But they want to inquire of the Lord first. And it was apparently their custom. They would pray and they'd sacrifice. And when God was with them, they would pray and, and, a, and someone would prophesy or something. They would hear from God uh, about what to do. Well, they did this and nothing happened. Well, right away, Saul said, well, something's not right. Someone has sinned against God. So he calls everybody together and said, let's find out uh, who has sinned. As surely as the Lord rescues Israel lives, even if it lies with my own son Jonathan, he must die. But no one of the men said a word because they knew that, in fact, it was Jonathan. So he's this boy. Even if it's my son, he's going to die. Who sinned? So uh, he said to all the Israelites, you stand over there and I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. And they said, do what seems best to you. And then Saul prayed to the Lord, give me the right answer. And Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot. Now what they would do is they drew lots. It was all very bizarre. But they would you know, pray, God show us who it was. And everyone would draw lots. And whoever had the shortest lots, you know, they would inquire of them. And Jonathan and Saul drew the lots. And then as, as you keep going here, what happens is Jonathan, he's the one by taking lots. So that's how they found that something was wrong with Jonathan. In verse 43, Saul says to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan said, look, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff. And now must I die? Because he knew the implication that he was going to kill him. And, 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 and the other thing is, he didn't know anything about the vow. So he should have been totally guiltless on this whole deal. Well, Saul said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. So he has every intention of killing his own son. Well, the men of, said to Saul, should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance of Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. So he basically has a little bit of a, a mutiny on his hands here. The men, uh, all this is very risky, by the way, because it took very little to wind up with your head chopped off or taken off a king or whatever. He's ready to kill his own son, but they knew it was Jonathan who had the cojones that went up there, started the fight, and got everybody confused, and that gave him this great victory. So the men stood up and said, no, you're not going to take him. And uh, anyway, so they rescued him. 
Then it says that Saul, Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines and they withdrew to their own land. And after Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought their enemies on every side. And just list all the different people that he fought all this time. Down in verse 9, 49, it says Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Melchishua. And the name of his older daughter was Merib. And that of the younger was Michael. Uh, and uh, we will remember this because later David marries Michael. Okay, so this is... This is all as we go along here in the story (laughs) some pretty funny stuff happens later anyway uh, his wife's name was Ahinoam daughter of whatever Uh, talking about all these people's names verse 52 all of the days of Saul were bitter there was bitter war with the Philistines and whenever Saul took saw a mighty or brave man he took him into his service so um, he was always fighting the Philistines it was just always this constant state of war uh, between the nations Alright, so now anyway, Samuel says to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Just now, judgment's coming. You know how long ago this was? It was a long time ago. You know, sometimes people, there's this big disconnect sometimes when God says, I'm doing such and such. And then it takes a while. You think he, God has forgotten. God hadn't forgotten. It's just in God's time, and it took this long before he was going to bring judgment on the Amalekites for the way they treated Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. So now he says to them, go now, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Now the next sentence, very strange, hard to understand, certainly in the light of where we are in the world today. And people often say, well, why did God have people go in? And, you know, it was just the judgment of God, and God wasn't messing around. And who knows what these people had done to tick God off. Part of it was because of what they had done here. But remember what Moses said to the Israelites? He says, I'm giving you this land, not because you're so good, but because they're so bad. And I'm sending you in as judgment on these nations, because they were so wicked, these people. Anyway, here's the judgment. God says, do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants ow whoa cattle and sheep camels and donkeys what did they have to do with anything I'm just telling you God was so hacked and he says I want you to completely destroy everything from the face of the earth for this people so Saul now it was very clear okay we, we got the story this is what he's supposed to do so Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telium, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So he warned these people and they were able to take off. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He talk, took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. What did God tell him to do? Kill them all. But he takes them alive. And all his and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lamb. Everything that was good they kept. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. 
And God says this to Samuel. He says, I am so grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Well, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went out to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor. (laughs) Pastor Mark putting up a statue of himself out in the parking lot. Okay. And uh, (laughs) by the way, (laughs) I remember once I was with a bunch of guys. I I think it was over in Stevens Point. I can't remember who all was there. We're making fun. I was making fun of these pastors who want these little mini monuments erected to themselves after they've been there for a while. You know what I'm saying? All that kind of stuff. And I'm kidding around. And I said, someday I want a statue of me erected. And you know how these statues, they got these guys standing and they're pouring water, shall we say? (laughs) I said, I want a statue of me and I'm going to be whizzing over the city. You know, as... Which I thought was funny. That's funny, right? I think that's funny. That's a funny joke, okay? I'm making fun of this, right? Well, some people, they are just absolutely humor challenged. I mean, they are absolutely... They are as giggleless as people can possibly be. So I don't know who was in this thing, but apparently they, they were shocked by what I said and took it seriously. So like two years later... I get an email, a forward of an email from some pastor in Texas who is writing about how bad of a man I am. And you don't want to have anything to do with that Mark Arner because he's just a terrible man. And I even know that he said with a bunch of guys one day that he wanted to pee on his own city. (laughs) It's like, somebody shoot me. You know what I'm saying? Unthinking believable. You know, these people have no concept of humor. I don't, I don't get it, you know. Goodness gracious. You know, it's, uh, oftentimes as I travel around, one of the things that just horks me, if there's such a word, uh, about uh, Christians are these, you know, little small-minded control freaks that like to control things in the church by saying, I'm offended. Well, that offends me. I'm offended by that. Horrible offense. So I go around the country and I say, listen, I think we ought to have a new rule in churches. Every time somebody says they're offended, we slap them in the face. And, uh, and if that offends them, then we hit them again. And we, and we just keep doing it until they stop and grow up for crying out loud. I'm offended. Everything offends me. You can't do that because that offends me. And all these people are offended. They can't talk about anything because they're always offended. Like some guy, you know, left the church down about a year ago. Remember the sermon I was preaching about selfishness? Because people get selfish, but then they spiritualize their selfishness. They have all kinds of ways of making it look like, well, I'm really just concerned about spiritual things. And I use the analogy of a dog turd. I said, you know, you can take a dog turd, and you can paint it pretty colors, and you can spray it with perfume, and you can put little hats on it and stuff, and make it look as pretty as you want, but at the end of the day, it's still just a dog turd. Okay? The analogy is, when you're selfish and you dress it up, it's still just selfishness, right? You can say, whatever. Some guy left, he said, I've, I've never been so insulted in all my life. I said, why? He said, you called me a dog turd. 
I did not call you a doctor. Yes, you did. It was a analogy. You called me a doctor. Well, after that, I started calling him a doctor, but he wasn't around after that. You know, I was crying out loud. So anyway, this... <laughs> so apparently, I, I forget where I was at. So I was some, some Western, some theologian at some Bible school was at my seminar when I was talking about slapping people in the face. And he wrote this scathing article about me. How I actually was advocating punching people in the nose. <laughs> you Nimrod. Yeesh. So uh, I said, first of all, you weren't paying attention because I didn't say punch in the nose. I said slap in the face. <laughs> and it's a joke. So I had to explain humor to him. Shall I explain it to you? Shall I give you the definition of humor? You take the truth with exaggeration and surprise. And it's funny. Okay? But normal people with, you know, I don't know, a, a brain understand the point of the truth. You know what I'm talking about? So, you know, anyway, these people, they don't want to that pastor, he just wants to urinate on his own town. It's a terrible thing. You know, I just, sheesh. I ought to do that, though. I don't, my statue would be for great. Anyway, um, so anyway, he goes and he sets up a monument in his own honor. Now, this is the same man who in the beginning was very, 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 very humble. Remember? He was a humble man and God could use him when he's humble. Now, he's gotten quite thrilled with himself. He's quite impressed with what he's done. So he goes and he builds this big monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So when Samuel reaches him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Had he carried out the Lord's instructions? No, now technically he didn't do on the other one. The other one too, again, I cut him slack because it's just, you know, kind of really getting pretty technical. But now this is very clear. The boy, he's way over the line. But Samuel said, well, if you, if you carried out the Lord's instructions, he says, then, then why is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? I'm hearing. I'm hearing sheep. What, what is that? What is all that noise I'm hearing? And Saul answered, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul said, tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? See, remember, when you were humble, when you had a small opinion of yourself, he said, God could use you. But now you're arrogant. Now you're Mr. Hotshot. Now you can make up the rules as you go along, adjusting things. You know, I'm helping. I know God told me to kill everything. But we brought, you know, we're, we're here to sacrifice it to Jesus. You know, well, God will be very impressed here because, you know, he didn't ask for this, but we're kind of going above and beyond the duty. Again, spiritualizing misbehavior. He says, well, now the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them till you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But, 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 but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I, I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And I brought back Agag their king. And the soldiers took sheep 
and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He had it all spiritualized out. He all, all rationalized. But Samuel said this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the sacrifice, the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And you all should have this next one memorized. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. King James says witchcraft. I have all my verses memorized in King James. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Now this is really interesting because this is a problem a lot of people of faith have quite frankly. A lot of churches where you have you know, people uh, rebelling and church splits and all this kind of stuff. It always gets icky and they always justify it as well. You know we just want to be more spiritual. We want to honor God more and, and we don't think the way that you're doing it now is the spiritual way. And we're going to be more spiritual and, and they create all this dissension and, and, and fighting and splits and, dis, and, and break up the church. Go start my own church. We're going to start our own new church. And it's born out of pure rebellion against the work of God that is existing at the time. But they spiritualize it. And they say, well, I'm doing this for a righteous cause. I'm doing this because we want to advance the kingdom of God. I'm doing it. And I can't, every time I see that, I can't help but think of this verse. Where God said to Saul, I don't care what you think your motives are. What you're doing is wrong. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Remember, he wanted to do this to honor God. He wanted to bring all this stuff to sacrifice it to God. God said, I don't care about these stupid sacrifices. What's more important, some sacrifice you give me or obeying my voice? And he says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Again, an interesting point here. There is a disconnect between when God says it has happened and when it actually takes place. It's kind of interesting because he says, I rejected you as king. And then later he anoints David as king. And, but yet it was years before the power change took place. I, I say that to people because oftentimes God will put on someone's heart, you know, uh, you know, you're serving the Lord and all of a sudden you'll feel like God has is, is spoke, spoken you to do one thing or the other. And oftentimes people, the minute they feel God has spoken them to do something, you know, some big change in life or something, then they just run off helter skelter and foolishly and try to make it happen right away. Uh, with no evidence that God is actually opening the doors yet. That's the problem. And uh, the reasoning for it is, well, God spoke to me. God, I should do this because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's assume that he did tell you this. Doesn't mean it necessarily is going to happen today. Some of the stuff that God has spoken into my heart sometimes took 30 years before I began to realize that. Now, I hope that doesn't take you that long, but I mean, you just don't know. Before God actually starts opening the doors and things. And so there's, you'll see this disconnect. He says, I've rejected you, king. You're not king anymore. Well, of course he was still king. He was king for years. He anoints David. In a little bit here, we'll see. He anoints him. He says, you're king. Was he king right away? No. It took years between when God said it and yet before it came to pass. Just like when he said to the Amalekites, I'm judging you for what you did to Israel coming out of Egypt. Took a long time before it happened. But make no mistake, it happens. 
Alright, anyway, so then Saul says to Samuel, I've sinned. Well, now he wants to repent. I mean, he's sorry. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. It was the people. The people made me do it. The devil made me do it. I don't know what happened. I gave in to them. <laughs> now I beg you, I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Now again, when you read some of these stories, even this one, I mean certainly the first one, I have a hard time seeing what a huge deal was there because again, Samuel was late and the pressure was on and but he didn't do technically everything he was supposed to do. He said, why, why was there such serious judgment? You have to remember something. Jesus taught this to people. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. Okay? You know, say, man, if, if this kind of stuff gets people in trouble, then, then I'm doomed. Yeah. Me right along with you. You know what I'm saying? We all mess up. We all, you know. Well, what's the difference here? I mean, these are, this God is talking to these people. When God starts opening up the heavens and starts having audible conversations with you, you better get really technical about what happens next. All right? To whom much is given, much is required. Personally, I'd rather people say, oh, I wish that would happen to me. Not me. <laughs> you know, man, I'll stay out here in Faithville. <laughs> I'm not sure what we're going to do next church. You know, is there a ground here? Okay, yeah, all right. All right, we'll do this. And we'll go somewhere else. I don't know where. You know, we'll go this way. No, we can't. There's stairs here. You know, it might take us a while to get out of here. All right. But I'd rather stay in Faithville with lots of room to mess up. Man, I don't need some big flash of light and an angel showing up and speaking to me. Mark, do it exactly this way. Oh, man, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. This is one Puerto Rican that'll mess up, man. I wish God would just speak to me. Man, be careful what you wish for. Keep me in Graceville. <laughs> just, you know, I'd rather struggle and be covered with grace. Uh, so anyway, they, people were not messing around. Anyway, Samuel in verse 27 turned to leave. Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. He was desperate. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Again, now check it out. God says, he did it today. But it took years before it happened. But it happened because on this day he decided it was going to happen. Again, it's kind of that disconnect with that whole time-space continuum thing, you know, that we see in Star Trek. All right? God lives on a different plane than we do. He said, it's happened. It's happened today, even though in reality it didn't happen for many, many, many years. Again, keep that in mind as God works in your life and puts dreams in your heart. It doesn't always take forever. Sometimes things will happen for you right away. Don't get discouraged. If you get a vision, you get a dream, you get a hope and a desire that you want to do something from God... Don't get discouraged if it takes a while before you get there. All right? Um, Anyway, he who is the glory of Israel, talking about God, does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a man that he should change his mind. Saul again crying, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people, before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. So Samuel eventually relents. He goes back with Saul. And Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel says, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him confidently thinking, well, surely the bitterness of death is past. I've got it made, baby. I've survived all this. They're going to do something with me. You know, I'm not dead. But Samuel said, your sword has made women childish. So will your mother be childish. 
childless among women. Now it's kind of a poetic way of saying it, but when someone tells you your mama's going to be without children, that's a bad sign for you. <laughs> it means you're going to die. All right? Now, I don't know. My mom's got me. What are you talking about? Anyway, so Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord. Uh, interesting that Saul didn't do it. He was supposed to have done it in the first place. So Samuel himself has to step up and do it. And then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord uh, was grieved that he made Saul king over Israel. You say, how can that be? I don't know. It's hard to understand all this stuff. You know, I say, well, God, didn't God know what was going to happen? I have a pretty good idea. God knew exactly what was going to happen. But, uh, you know, God was grieved the way that this turned out. And, uh, and then we start reading in chapter 16. We'll pick this up next week. How Samuel comes to find this young guy. We don't know how old he was. He could have been a young teenager. A lot of guys, the Bible scholars think he was about 16, maybe 17 years of age. Finds this young ruddy boy by the name of David. Again, another guy with some serious cojones. We will read the story as he takes on Goliath. Some fabulous stuff here in the life of David. A musician. God likes musicians. Yes. And, uh, and God uses him as the new king, even though it takes a lot of time before all this kicks in. So we'll pick that up starting next Wednesday. God bless.